0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Last day of August, somehow. I don't know how we got there, but September begins tomorrow. And even if you didn't believe me that we were in the count up to the start of the NBA season two weeks ago, we are very much in it starting tomorrow. September, people start to come back out of the woodwork. Now, again, season's starting a week later this year, so maybe everything gets pushed back a tiny bit. But I feel like there's something about right after Labor Day where people really do start to think NBA because football's about to start. That's, what, next week, I think? And then people can kind of flick their brain from fantasy football drafts to fantasy basketball drafts, and that's when we really can catch a little bit of fire hi everybody welcome to fantasy nba today doing a little bit earlier today trying to knock this sucker out um before i kind of settle back into my uh, computer work at home situation so uh yeah you guys probably like it when the show comes out earlier anyway We're simulcasting this one as well. So uh, hello to the folks watching live or after the fact on YouTube. Hello to everybody listening on traditional podcast channels. As I've been trying to do lately, this is a time of year where your help is required. Uh, If you're a new user in particular, a new listener, even more important, please put a five-star on this thing on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you're taking in your podcast. And if you're over on the YouTube side, please do hit that thumbs up button. Please do subscribe to the sports ethos youtube page we've been growing like a weed last couple of weeks thanks in large part to you guys and to our amazing football team those guys have been dropping uh two i think pieces of content almost every day here on this website so that's uh that's really awesome also you're on like truly last chance warning if you're getting an all sport fantasy pass here at sports ethos you got to do it now because it's about to go away I don't want to say go away, but it's about to go up in price substantially. This is your chance to get it at the discount. The sale is basically done. I don't even know if it's going to be up before I do my next show. Possibly it'll still be rolling tomorrow. Um, but by post-Labor Day, that's about to uh, to bounce up from 7 bucks a month to 10 So, I mean, you can save a ton if you have it for multiple months, which you kind of have to here during draft season. Stop screwing around. Just go get it. Don't wait. Don't try to get it at the last possible second because you're actually kind of hurting yourself with the price bump. Go get it now. Here's what we've been working on. The draft board. Duh. But, specifically, the players right now kind of in that 24 through 29 range, I think is what we were at. 24, 25, 26, 27. It was... No, maybe it's more like five guys. Was it pick 24 to 28 that we actually were at? In any event, it's kind of this late second, early third bucket that begins right after Trey Young. Trey Young kind of finishing off the previous one. This bucket includes Larry Markkinen, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, and Karl-Anthony Towns. From the title of the show, from the description of the show, from the thumbnail, same thing I mentioned yesterday, you already know we're going to be talking Jimmy Butler and Kat. We'll also try to get to Lowry today before we move into kind of this uh, weird new area where the draft pivots from these very quantifiable chunks of players into kind of the first hints of people are going to go get their guy. First 25 to 30 picks, there's not a whole lot of, I'm going to get my guy stuff going on. Happens a little bit um, if you're leaning into a a specific team build, but thinking about it more on the 9-cat, head-to-head or roto, if you're just trying to get the player that you like the most, it's not really like a, I'm going to go reaching down the board thing. That is to say, you very rarely see someone like uh say Miles Turner if someone really wants to go get Miles Turner his pre-rank is 30 his ADP is 34 and a half that number tells us what we need to know but we've seen it with our eyes we've seen it we've we've experienced it and anecdotally now those guys just aren't going in these earlier bunches but once you clear this group and cat is the last name in this bucket right now Then you get into everybody's just sort of hunting. The hunt is on. But we'll get to that. Today, let's talk about the three players that remain in this bucket. Jimmy Butler, Karl-Anthony Towns, and Larry Markinen. We'll start with the one that I believe is probably the easiest of the three to handicap, and that's Larry Markinon, which is saying something because he's still not all that easy to handicap. Marketing last year finished at number eighteen on a per game basis, played in sixty six ball games. Some of those missed ones were down the stretch when the Jazz were sitting people. Twenty five and a half points, three three pointers, eight and a half rebounds, two assists, uh, 0.6 on both steals and blocks, and a fifty percent, eighty seven and a half percent split. Terrific percentages for marketing as well. The thing about Lowry that jumps out at us here, and you know we can we'll. we'll try to make the adjustments as we see fit. But the thing that, in my estimation, really leaped out was shooting 50% from the field on far and away the highest volume that he's ever had. He shot 39% from three last year. He's a career 37%er, so that's all well within the, you know, how close does he get to his career mark. But in his career is also a 45.5% field goal percent dude, and he was at 50 this last year. 49.9, but I think we can round up. 17.3 shots is two full shots more than he took his sophomore year way back with Chicago, and for three seasons after that, he only took about 10 to 12 shots per game. It's pretty unusual to see somebody experience a huge spike in field goal attempts and overall usage, and also experience a large jump in field goal percent. And it's not like his position on the floor was all that different. Early on with Utah, he was still the small forward, kind of a small forward-power forward blend, which is not that different from what he was doing in Cleveland. Chicago, he was much more set in as the power forward. And, you know, that's why that second year, he put up really big rebounding numbers with the Bulls. I think a lot of Markkinen's stuff is repeatable. If he's going to get the ball a ton, which he probably will again this coming year, he can average five or more free throws per game. You know, three three three-pointers is within reach if he's taking almost eight of them a night. Steals and blocks were pretty much right on the career mark. Assists were maybe a tiny bit higher, but not substantially so. The thing we're looking at with Markkinen is, it's really one question. That's it. One. That's why I said he's the easiest to handicap. Now, we don't necessarily have the answer to that question, but the question is, can he shoot 50% again? Was this a start of a new wave of Lowry Markkinen as a positive impact field goal guy? Or was this just a terrific year? When you look at the history of all of it, you kind of have to assume that it was a terrific year. Or at least that's my take on it. As the season went on, Utah had more and more guys skip games, get traded, miss games, stuff like that. So for Markinen, he actually got more and more shots later in the year. He was taking 21.5 shots per game the final 30, uh, 20-some-odd games. He only played in like 15 of them. So his rank was still pretty high then. But his field goal percent over the last three months this year was more like 46-47 instead of 50. It was the beginning of the year where everybody on Utah was just going completely insane. They were racking up wins, and no one could really figure out how. But Markkinen was shooting 53% over that stretch. Only 15 shots per game, but 53%. And then it did level off as the year went on. So I'm inclined to believe... That And, you know, maybe some of it comes down to, you know, end of the season, Jordan Clarkson was out for a while, and they traded Mike Conley, and they, like, all the pieces went missing for them. And going into this year, there are more guys that, or maybe at least an equal number of guys, that can take shots away. Colin Sexton should be healthy for most of, we'll see. John Collins is on the Jazz now. So I don't think Markkinen is getting 18 to 22 shots per ballgame. It's probably more like we saw at the beginning of this year, where it's in that kind of 15 to 17 range. Still good, but not an overwhelming number of field goal attempts. So if you think Markkinen's usage dips, which over the entire year, maybe, maybe not, fine. But we don't even need that to be part of the equation to suggest that 50% is probably an unsustainable number, and if this season had gone another three or four weeks for him, he probably would have fallen back a little bit farther. But is he still worth a pick at number 24? Because that's basically what our question is right now. I'm going to say sorta, which is the ultimate cop-out answer in fantasy sports, but sorta is the answer. He hasn't been, throughout his career, a pillar of durability. Not a complete mess on that front, but also not really all that great. So if you're drafting Markanen, assume that there are going to be some missed ball games. We also don't really know if Utah's going to be making a push this year. Last year, they pulled the plug partway through and loaded up on a few extra assets, but they have a lot of talent on that team already, and, and some of them are more veteran guys. Clarkson's been around, Collins has been around, Sexton's not a uh, young-ish, but not a spring chicken. Kelly Olenek's been around for a while. So they could try to compete this year, and that would be good for the game's played number on any of those guys. But they could also do the same thing they did this last year, and kind of pull the plug, try to continue to rack up better draft picks, and kind of bide their time to make a push with... Some kind of star because they don't really have a star player on that team right now, at least not yet. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario you're hosting friends for the big game, it's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Boo, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. So my answer to would I draft Larry Marken in at 24 is... I would lean towards probably not. And yesterday we talked about LeBron James as bring, being a guy I probably would not draft at 24. And we talked about Kawhi Leonard, who's very much a roto head-to-head split kind of guy here. And Markin isn't really super advantageous in either format over the other. It's probably about the same, because you could expect something like 14-ish games played to within maybe three or four on either side of that, which is... Not hyper-durable, but not a complete mess. So that's not really an edge for one format or the other. He's someone who is good. He was good in like four categories last year. He was, he was a nice, positive, lean-into dude who didn't have any huge holes. So that made him maybe a little bit more roto-friendly than head-to-head, especially with the slightly lower turnover number. But I think you can make an argument both for and against Markkinen in either format. If you like what he does for head-to-head, fine, you can do that. If you like what he does for Roto, fine, you can do that. But I just wouldn't bank on him being a 75-games-played dude this coming year. And I probably wouldn't bank on him being a 50% shooter this coming year. But even if you adjust that down from 50% down to, say, 47, he's still inside the top 30 pretty comfortably on a per-game basis. He moves back towards that 24-25 mark and maybe a little bit beyond that. And then you're like, all right, well, if this dude can get to 68, 69 games played, then he ends up as kind of a clean single through the hole as far as late second, early third round fantasy draft picks. I just don't think there's much in the way of upside with him, which maybe that's stupid because he was actually better than 24, 25 last season. But last season also kind of felt like the absolute best case scenario. I don't think he could go better than 18. And maybe the reason that I'm a little bit bashful about Markkinen is that I think there are other guys in this group that if you're hunting upside, those guys are probably the ones you lean toward. If you're hunting the absolute, I hate to call Larry Markkinen a boring play here, but he's a little bit of a boring play here. He's not going to be a first rounder. He's probably not going to be like outside the top 35 or 40 either. He's a guy that, what do we talk about? You can ruin your team in the first two or three rounds, but you probably can't win it. So maybe I should be a little bit easier on him, because Markinen's most likely not going to ruin your fantasy team. He's probably not going to win you anything either, whereas a guy like LeBron, he could ruin your team if he plays 40 games this year. A guy like Kawhi, he could actually win you a little bit of a le- If you're getting him in the third round and he stays healthy... But that's where I sit on Markkinen. He's, for me, kind of a probably not with the asterisk of, I wouldn't kill you for doing it because he'll be okay. He's going to be okay this year. Let's talk about the next one on the this group of three that we're getting through today. And that's Jimmy Butler, who does have his face on the thumbnail for today's show. Jimmy Butler finished last year at number 10 in fantasy sports. He played in 64 out of 82 games, which for him I think was actually kind of a win because Miami wasn't playing very well, and so they needed Butler to play in most of their games down the stretch. He was stellar, 23-6-5 with 1.8 steals and a 54-85 split on percentages. Doesn't shoot the three ball, but honestly, that's okay. And the reason he's getting drafted in this range instead of earlier is because there are two very reasonable red flags hovering over Jimmy Butler. Red flag number one is one that's been going on for a while, and that's the fact that he doesn't play a full season of games ever anymore. He played 64 out of 82 this last year, so he missed 18. And if you work backwards chronologically, he missed 18, then 15, 20 the year before that, 24 the year before that. No. Excuse me, he missed, 15, he missed 18 this year. He missed 25 last year. I'm sorry, I was working off of 72 instead of 82. 20 the year before that. 14 the year before that. In uh, the Philly-Minnesota combo season, he missed about 17 games. Minnesota the year before that, he missed 23. You got to go all the way back to his last season in Chicago for the last time that Jimmy Butler even cleared the 80% mark in games played in a season. So it's been a long time. He was at about 80, by the way, he was at about 80% of his games played in the COVID season when Miami went to the finals in the bubble at 58 at about 72 regular season games, but really, he doesn't play. Jimmy Butler's got old legs. He's a playoff, he's a go-nuts-in-the-playoff kind of dude. He's not like, he's not ancient. He has his 34th birthday coming up exactly two weeks from today, so... Wrong side of his prime, but not like completely broken down old man. It's just that he'll play a bunch of games in a row and he'll go crazy. But if there's something nagging on him, they're going to sit him down. He's the definition of someone that a team wants ready for the playoffs. And when the playoffs come around, he's always ready. He goes nuts in the postseason. We all know playoff Jimmy. So the Jimmy question here becomes a lot like the Kawhi question we asked yesterday, which is, does the math work itself out? Jimmy Butler has played in, on average, pretty close to the same number of games per healthy season, if we can call it that, as Kawhi Leonard. This last year, you obviously beat him because Kawhi sat out a lot of the first seven weeks of the year, and Jimmy did not. From that point on, Kawhi actually played in more games than Butler this season. These guys are all, and LeBron too, even Cat, that dude can barely make it through a season these days. This this grouping is big time injury risk group, which is why I guess we sort of come back to Larry Markin and say, all right, fine, if you want to go Market, and at least he's not a guy that is like always missing 20 games, even though he too has some injury stuff that you can't exactly sweep under the rug. Ha! <laughs> speaking speaking of sweeping under the rug, did you see what happened to NBA ref Eric Lewis yesterday? Go look that story up if you want uh, a little bit of a hmmm moment on NBA issues. Yeah, hmm, indeed. Hey, quick mid-show reminder. Uh, again, if you are, depending on how you're consuming this content, please do drop a five-star if you're listening to the podcast or hit that thumbs up and subscribe button. But, Going back to the Jimmy Butler thing, he was a no-brainer last year because he was going in the 30 range. 30 for a guy who has top 10 per game potential, and he dominated that spot. Jimmy Butler, you know, 64 games played among the upper-tier guys. He actually was number 9 by totals because the guys in front of him were so damn banged up that he actually moved up the board despite missing 18 games. So that's one of the advantages to having a guy who can post that first-round stuff is that even when they missed a lot of ball games, their totals don't get impacted all that much because everybody at the top of the board is beat up these days. But there is a secondary red flag on Jimmy Butler that complicates this. If it was only the injury stuff, much like Kawhi, I'd say if you're in a roto league with a games cap, you go hog wild for Jimmy Butler at pick 24 through 28. Of course, but there is still the prevailing assumption in the NBA is still that Damian Lillard is going to end up in Miami. Yes, some shot taker, probably Tyler Hero, will head back the other direction to Portland. But at the end of the day, Dame is going to do more on that team than whoever the Heat send back the other way. And that means less for Butler and less for. For Bam Adebayo, it's hard to quantify exactly how much less. But Jimmy Butler's five point three assists, his nine free throws, his fourteen shots per game, sort of James Harden esque type of breakdown on where the usage gets put to. That's all going to take a hit. Scoring, assists, the impact, the positive impact of both of his percentages, taking usage away from Jimmy Butler is so painful. Those guys that are great in both percentages, you remove usage. It hurts so much. So Dame coming to Miami probably moves Jimmy Butler from a first-rounder on a per-game basis to somewhere in the second round. It's hard to move far because everybody is separated by larger amounts in the upper part of the board. You can use the Z-scores on Basketball Monster to see that and, and how each player is separated up at the top. But even if Jimmy falls from 10th per game down to like 17th or 18th, that now puts him in a weird spot because, I mean, that basically turns him into Larry Markkinen from last year. Markkinen was 18th per game, played in 66 ball games, and so he fell a few spots down the board. If Jimmy Butler is around 18th per game and he plays in 62 or 60, I mean 64 actually I thought was kind of a big number for him. If he gets up to 64 again, you probably call it a win and he might actually beat his ADP by totals. If he only gets to 60, 62 games and his per game stuff falls by a half round to a full round, he probably doesn't beat a pick slot at number 24. Games cap Roto, you've got a much tougher decision on your hands because, again, you're looking for those guys that can get you better per-game production than where you draft them. But if you're taking Jimmy Butler at the end of the second, beginning of the third, you're still hoping for a guy that's going to play more than 80% of his team's games, more than 75% even. Missing 20 games, by the way, is, is missing about a quarter of the season, so that's where you're sitting on that 62 number. So I've been, you guys know me, I've been doing the Jimmy Butler dance for a number of seasons. I tr- I avoided him after the deep bubble run because I figured everybody that went that far was going to be dead the following year, and they all kind of were. But typically, Butler's a guy that just goes too late. But the Damian Lillard stuff hanging over this right now makes it so that you're not only dealing with the injury stuff, but you're now dealing with someone who's going to siphon away a bunch of what he does. And Butler hasn't been in that role in a while. I mean, since he went to Miami, that was his team. He was 15th per game the previous season. A uh, year before that, he was number 8. That was when he was at 2.1 steals per ball game. His first season in Miami, he was number 12. Does seem to be fairly heavily tied to how many steals he's posting. That was uh, a year's field goal percent was a little bit lower. But if you just kind of keep going backwards on Jimmy Butler... You find someone who, as they drop in usage a little bit, they fall to the middle of the second round. So assume Jimmy Butler is going to be looking at something probably more like the 15 to 20 range per game. And then if he misses 20 ball games, he falls right around that 24, 25 totals valuation, which makes him a guy that (sighs) on head-to-head is a massive headache. And in Roto, you might not really have that wiggle room. At least with Kawhi, you know, the, I guess if James Harden shows up, that could complicate things a little bit. But honestly, I'm I'm thinking Philly sends him someplace else. I know he wants to go to the Clippers. I've got to think that Philly could get a better package from another team. But we, I guess we don't need to go too far down that path. But even then, Kawhi is better on a per-game basis than Butler, and those guys miss not that far apart in number of ball games. You just you can't take all of these dudes. I know that I preach how much I like having some of them in games cap leagues, but you can't take all of them. You have to have someone that's actually logging games played on your team. So now we've had LeBron. Would we do LeBron at 24? Probably not. Would we go Kawhi Leonard at 24 on Roto? Probably yes. On head-to-head, definitely not. Larry in at 24, he's kind of a maybe in both formats as the guy who's least likely to detonate your team in this group. And then Jimmy Butler, who, how many years in a row has it been a hard yes for me? This season, Jimmy Butler is kind of a meh or even a no at this spot. This is the year where, again, like if he had slid back towards 30, I'd say, okay, we have a ton of wiggle room. Because last year when he was going closer to 30, I was like, this is the no-brainer pick of the damn millennium. Even if he misses 25 ball games, he still beats this mark by totals. And then he, you know, he only he played 64 and obliterated it. So Jimmy Butler, not my favorite selection to pick number 24. <laughs> all of these guys have huge warts, and none of them is all that trustworthy on the head head-to-head side. And that's another. I, I mean, you can roll that I think over into the last player we're going to talk about on today's program, and that's Carl Anthony Towns who was getting off to a, a not very good start last year and then found himself injured again because basically ever since he had that Iron Man streak at the beginning of his career that went to pot back in 2018 he missed a couple of ball games and since then he just really hasn't been the same. he stayed relatively healthy last year played 74 out of 82 ball games but the three seasons around that. The first COVID year, he played 35 out of 72 games. The second one, he played 50 out of 72. And then this year, 29 out of 82. It's been big, long-term stuff that has knocked Cat out. And then on top of everything else, his blocks go away now because he's no longer the last line of defense. We can argue that maybe they'll trickle back up a little bit, but playing power forward dramatically changes His opportunity to block shots near the rim. Because Rudy Gobert is back there. Cat's not a 1.3 blocks per game guy anymore. Is he as low as .6? Uh, Maybe not. I mean, he was so banged up this year. Maybe you could put a little bit on that. But .8, .9? Those are very much in play. .8-ish steals also. Losing blocks for Cat... Takes a lot of the luster off. But it's not the only thing that's removing the luster. Anthony Edwards, this is kind of his team now. It's kind of his team now. They dumped D'Lo and got Mike Conley, who's going to take fewer shots per ball game, So maybe that's good for some of these other dudes. But this is Anthony Edwards' team. It is. It just is now. Cat is firing a lot from downtown, but that's not that different for him. He's a good percentages guy, so that's useful. But his rebounds are also going to be lower because of playing in that power forward spot. And a lot of people want to chalk up what happened last year with Kat's numbers to him being injured. And that's fine. They were markedly worse when he came back from injury. He was somewhere down, I don't even remember where the hell he ended up at after coming back from injury. It was pretty far down the board. He was like a top 75 guy in the eight games he played after coming back. But you guys need to remember, he wasn't blowing the roof off the building before the injury either. He finished overall at number 37, which is not great. But if you're looking at the beginning of the year, first 20-ish games, I think he played about 20, 21 games before he got hurt, he was number 26 in that stretch. 21 points, 8 boards, 5 assists, 0.8 steals, 0.7 blocks, and a 50.5%, 88.5% split on percentages. These are all good numbers, but they're not historical cat numbers, which is more like 25 points... 10 or 11 rebounds, 1.9 to 2 combined defensive stats. With Rudy Gobert in town, those days are not happening anymore. Can he go higher than 20.5 points per game? Um, Probably. But not by a ton. So this whole grouping... I, mean, I don't think I need to go too deep on why playing power forward changes a player's number. Like Rudy Gobert is a big time rebounder that that team just didn't have before. Cats' rebounds are gonna be lower. He's not the center anymore. He will be the backup center because that's how they're gonna rotate guys. in, But they also have Nas Reed on that club, so even then they don't. It doesn't have to be a perfect stagger of Gobert to Towns. Which of these five guys? can stay on their damn feet for this basketball season. Someone's gonna. One of them is gonna do it. Maybe even two. But we can't really know which ones. And if you had to rank them of like, who's the most likely, again, this is all a percentages game. Who's likely to play the most games in that group of players? It's probably either Markinen or Kat. If just because they're younger, but they've had their issues, who's likely to play the fewest, the lowest number of games in this group? LeBron, Kawhi Leonard, or Jimmy Butler? Freaking crapshoot. It's probably Kawhi, but it's a crapshoot. There's a magical universe where Cat plays seventy-two or more games this year. That could happen. Markinen could get to seventy. I don't think you. Could, I don't think you'll see LeBron get anywhere near that. And I don't think they want any of those three guys. So this comes down again to this whole of like, what's the target number of games played for a particular player? For Markkinen and for Towns, the target number of games played is probably 74. Like, this is what we want to get to this year. How close do we get to that? We don't know. Injuries happen, stuff happens, etc. Butler, Kawhi, LeBron, target number of games played for those dudes is probably more like 66. If they suffer no nagging injuries... They'd love to get to around 66 games played. But stuff is going to come up. LeBron is going to be 39. Kawhi has degenerative tissue. Jimmy Butler is just, I mean, his knees are, are hanging on by a thread these days. So on the head-to-head side, if you're looking at this group of players and you're thinking, what on earth am I doing? You're probably going cat or in and just saying, please, Lord, stay, let them stay upright because at least they're going to try. Minnesota wants to compete this year. So that's a big deal. And they're going to need Cat to be reasonable. Could you reach into the next group of players to take someone at 24-25? I mean, probably not. The next group of players, there's really only one guy in that group that you point out and be like, okay, this guy's almost definitely going to have a per-game ledger that's better than 25, and that's Miles Turner. The rest of these guys, you're like, well... Paul George is in that group, and he's down in that spot now. PG was number 25 exactly last year. Vooch was 26. but you don't want to use up the credit you're gonna get on a on a boring old player like Vooch right there. You want to let him fall a little bit farther. Bam, wasn't really all that close. neither was Drew Holiday, Murray. None of these guys had the the per game potential of some of these old, broken-down dudes we've been talking about. Markkanen was, again, number 18 last year per game. Jimmy Butler was number 10. Kawhi was 13, but really more like top 5 when he was healthy. LeBron was 23. Miles Turner was 20. He's the only guy going later than this group that had a consistent per-game marker last year that was higher than this group. I guess Brooke Lopez is also uh in the mix there, but his is a, like kind of a one trick pony sort of deal. I guess Miles Turner is a little bit of a one trick pony also, but you catch the you catch the drift there. You're not going and drafting Brooke Lopez at twenty five, because that's just insane. Miles Turner you could maybe make a case for, but he's also banged up. There's just no one to take in this spot that isn't a risk. So your decision becomes how much do I mitigate risk versus how much do I shoot for the stars? And if you're in Games Cap Roto, you probably shoot for the stars. you you go Kawhi Leonard in one of these spots and say, come on, man, please get to 60 ball games this year. And you probably go cat with the other one to balance out a big man and just say, please stay upright. And if it's head to head and you got picks here kind of towards the end of the second round, beginning of the third round, you're probably going cat and marketing. And you're probably passing up on the old dudes with serious per game potential but likely to miss 18 games or more. That is a tough pocket of players right here. Real tough pocket of players. I hope that was somewhat useful. Tomorrow, uh, I have a bit of a childcare issue because LAUSD is off for the four-day weekend. I'm going to get some kind of damn show out to you guys tomorrow. We'll probably start to talk about this next group of players, which is basically like the rest and how we're going to analyze that, and how we try to figure out who's going where, beyond just what the ADPs are right now. But there's a lot to dig into strategically, basically, after pick 28, because that's where we're at here. We've basically gone through the first 28 players on the board, and YouTubers, you can see on the screen, the next two names there are Pascal Siakam and Victor Wembenyama. Siakam uh, was number 43 last year, is a threat to be traded and, like, I don't know what else is going to go down on that front. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I'm Dan Vespers at Dan Vespers on Twitter. Hopefully you guys can come find me over there, continue our chat on social. This is the end of that bucket. We'll start the next group tomorrow on Friday. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Thumbs up, subscribe on the way out. Hit the five-star review. You guys know the drill. See you tomorrow.